welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another episode of No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. This podcast is available in all the podcast apps. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. This way you'll get an alert every time I post a new episode. Please rate me as well. It does help others discover this podcast. I also wanted you to know that I will be moving to a bi-weekly schedule of the No Head podcast. How are you doing, breathers? Yeah, that's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe and be in the present moment. As I'm recording this episode, it's raining heavily outside and you may hear the sound of rain as I do the intro. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Dorothy Oko, and when I'm not doing my day job in communications, I facilitate a course on mindfulness at Google called Search Inside Yourself. Today's quote is from Mahatma Gandhi, quote, If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. We need not wait to see what others do. End of quote. My guest today is Zambian-born environmentalist, Dr. Musanda Mumba. Her environmental career spans over 20 years. She's a world traveler and has worked in Switzerland for the Convention on Wetlands, Ramsar, Wildlife Fund, WWF in Geneva, before moving back to WWF in the UK and eventually in Kenya. She's been at UNEP for 10 years and was the head of the agency's terrestrial ecosystems team until February this year when she moved to the United Nations Development Program, UNDP, as director of the Rome Center for Sustainable Development. Dr. Musonda Mumba is the founder of Network of African Women Environmentalists, NAWI. She's part of the We Three Queens a delightful YouTube channel. Do follow them on YouTube. And she's also part of Listening to Art Group. All right, welcome, Usanda. I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And so before we begin, we always do a mindful breathing. It's about fully arriving, just to center us, we are from doing so many things, and a few breaths just helps us be grounded. Yes. If you join me. So we will breathe in to a count of five, hold to a count of two, and then breathe out through the mouth and let it go to a count of five. Yeah, we'll do three breaths. Mm-hmm. All right, let's start. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly through the mouth. Let it go. Another deep breath in. Hold. Breathe out slowly through the mouth. Another deep breath in. Hold. Breathe out slowly 
Now let your breathing return to its normal rhythm. Letting your breathing in and out, not controlling anything. And now bring your attention back to where we are now. And welcome. Oh, thank you. That was refreshing. Oh, thank you. So good to have you here. We've wanted to do this for a long time. Indeed, indeed. And so here we are. And one of the first questions I ask my guests is how was 2020 for you? What were the lessons you learned? 2020 for me was a beautiful year. It was complicated. It was tough, but it was beautiful. Because it also got me to realize the power of being alone, the power of creativity, and also got me into a space where I've reconnected and connected beautifully with my children and with my friendships. I did a check-in. I did not have the perfunctory, how are you? And then just continue talking. I waited to really hear how that individual, that friend, that family member really was. And a real life journey, really. I think I've emerged in, you know, in 2021 from 2020 as a changed person. I love that and I love how you've described it as beautiful. And so 2021, what are the things that you hope to continue doing from just the lessons that you learned? From the lessons that I learned from 2020, um, I've really drawn my boundaries, drawn my boundaries with friends, with family, with colleagues in terms of finding time for me because a lot of times we're busy we're, we're, we're just i don't know i mean we've gotten busier with more zoom calls more meetings way after working hours right. i've just drawn the boundaries and I, I will continue to do that and and also being essential about my time you know what is essential in terms of what i'm going to do right. what are the two three things that i'm going to do well in that day and and i read this book called essentialism which is really really helpful about oh i have it in my library i must reread it <laughs> oh you must greg McEwen. you must yes. so, so you know be mindful of those boundaries being sort of essential with my time and also with my actions and i'll just continue having flowers in my house if i can right <laughs> that makes the two of us but i like the idea of essentials and i think that through COVID, one of the things that we saw, at least in Kenya, was that the environment changed. And I, mm -hmm. the reason I'm bringing this in is because I know that's your domain and you're mm -hmm. passionate mm -hmm. about the environment and the planet. Absolutely. And one of the things was that the animals were just so relieved because they want, there wasn't all this disturbance no. around. And the, the ecosystem changed. Mm -hmm. But I'm not an expert. You're the expert. You, you tell us about what are the things that we could go on doing in terms of, I just think, being mindful of the planet, being mm -hmm. mindful of the environment of where we live in. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you two things. I mean, when, when I moved to Kenya, you remember when we met in 2006, um, it was a very, um, ta you know, very interesting time when obviously after the elections, we had the post-election violence and then tourists stopped coming to Kenya. And I used to work for WWF and um, and I was working in the Masai Mara. So one of the programs was in the Masai Mara Serengeti system. And I remember just flying in um, to work with colleagues and we were doing some sampling on the river because it was a lot easier and there was less traffic. It was shocking, Dorothy, because there was no cars. 
there were you know one or two buses and that was about it and then you could see all these animals you could see the animals just like almost kind of freaked out last august i took my son because my son just turned six um i mean it was his birthday and and, uh, and i took both my children to masai mara and they were just mainly local tourists right. one or two right. three cars and you could see the relief in the in the, in, in the reduced traffic within the park. I mean, we had like two cars in the, in the park in one area and then we saw the five brothers, the cheetahs. Mm. There they were, just kind of like lounging about, enjoying the sun. It wasn't that moment of here is 20 cars right. around one cheetah, you know what I mean? Right. So in, in terms of how the, the nature has kind of recovered, mm. it's very interesting. It takes these shocks right. to a system that suddenly wakes us up as humans in terms of some of the pressures that we've put on ecosystems and so for me it's how can we be really mindful and realistic in our in our mm. planning in our thinking and also figuring out how we cushion the planet without stressing it because ultimately the same nature is what heals us and we are also part of nature i love what you say the same nature is what heals us and nature is healing how do we as africans become mindful of that because we have always been very close to nature mm -hmm. if you looked at the mountains we either worshipped to the mountains mm -hmm. or to the lakes mm -hmm. because there was that strong bond mm -hmm. but as cities have grown and villages expanded we i feel like we haven't paid that much attention mm -hmm. to nature and conserving it mm -hmm. and almost have relied on other agencies to help us yeah. do it how do we take up ownership of how we treat nature mm -hmm. of how we treat the environment of how we treat this part that heals us. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I come from a, from an ancestry, both my, my Bemba from Zambia and also South African ancestry, Kosa. And in both these heritages, I, I all I remember from my grandparents was this connectivity to nature. So, oh, mama, I'm, I'm not feeling, oh, go, go, I'm not feeling well. I'm, I have, I think I have a running stomach. Oh yeah, there's this leaf that is boiled, you drink. So Africans generally, have been we are very connected very intimately connected to nature we know when you look at a forest and this is what i explain to colleagues in my work when you look at a forest you're just not looking at the standing trees you're looking at a space where young boys are taken for circumcision there are rituals that take place in these spaces and then you're looking at a place where you know certain herbs are you know collected to help a woman heal when right. she's given birth to also massage the baby and make sure and all of those are muscular relaxation techniques and you're looking at food systems those mushrooms that come from there the wild fruits some of which now are getting investigated by the max planck institutes of this world and germany suddenly realizing wow that wild fruit from the mouth has got pectin and this and this, and that. this is anti-cancer you know healing properties yada 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 we knew this we've known this and so this connectivity is something that we need to begin to heal again and part of this healing is also connected to language you know i explain to people when i say you know there are things that when i when i say in bemba what this means or what this vegetable means i don't even have the english translation for it because sometimes it's a description of something that in english they've only found one word but in my language, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean this is healing, this is nourishing, this is life-giving, this is... So we, ha we are connected in these spaces also through language. Mm. 
it's so interesting that you talk about language because we were just saying the other day how kids now don't know they, they only know english mm -hmm. they don't even speak swahili mm -hmm. And part of that is maybe a failure as parents because mm. at one point it was like, no, I don't want my kids to speak that language. They need to speak English and speak English correctly. Mm. And so there's that bit of loss of language. You're saying that mm. this idea of connectivity to language, to healing, because words mm -hmm. are expressed in this way. So what are we losing when we are raising a generation of children who maybe don't speak that? So... If you don't understand that language, what have you lost? You've lost a lot. You've lost a lot. I mean, I speak to my children who are obviously half Kenyan. I speak to them in Bemba. You know, when we say good morning, when I say mashukeni, you know, which is plural to say, you know, it's almost you have emerged. Because when you sleep, we believe you go to the underbelly of the world where there is no, there is no, life is a gift. But we don't know how you will emerge the next morning. Mm. You know, whether you come out alive or mm. you'll be gone in your sleep. So mashukeni is, you know, you have woken up and you've come now into the land of the living. And even though my children don't know, they know how to respond to mashukeni. Mm. How and do you respond to mashukeni? Hey, I'm quiet. Yeah. And um or bueno, which is I'm well and, and I'm feeling good. Now when you when you speak in Zulu, for instance, when you greet someone, when I greet her, you probably heard this in the streets of Joburg, mm. you know, Saibonani. Yes. You know, Saibonani is I see you. I've always loved that. I recognize you. I honor mm. your presence. Mm. You know, in, in language we we recognize and we bring acceptance of being and one of the beautiful words that i love and it was actually in in um in the uh, black panther movie wakanda mm -hmm. it was a Tosa word called you know when when i when i when you tell me good news and you inform me of something and i say oh, oh dorothy Mm. I recognize you. I, oh, I welcome wow. this and yeah. what a presence. I honor you. Mm -hmm. It's a big word. And so words mm. mean a lot. Right. Yeah, words mm. mean a lot. And in those in in the word in itself, also those words are talking about not harming mm. the way we're treating the environment, mm. the way we're treating an animal, mm. the way we're treating a space, it means do not harm. Mm. Because you are connected, right? And when right. you when you see when you see this kind of sort of philosophies and beliefs, you find them in Tibet, right. you find them in Bhutan, you find mm. them in indigenous peoples. Mm. And now in a COVID world, we're coming out of this, you know, confusion. Suddenly realizing this is what the indigenous peoples have been mm. talking about: mm. connecting. And so words make us, give us an identity. And when we lose that, we lose a part of our identity yes. as well. You know, we only have the identity of the English language, mm -hmm. which isn't wholly ours, even though we speak it mm -hmm. and master it well. Mm -hmm. How do we then reclaim that identity, that sense of language that makes us see ourselves as we are? You know, you've raised it. And I'm like, yeah, how do we do that? How do we give that to our children? Do you know, I mean, I always feel... For me, I, I, I've been deliberate. I've been deliberate about, um, it's only this year that I actually haven't taken my children back home. Every year I go with my children to Zambia. I take them to Zambia. I immerse them in this space. I take them to my home village. Mm. I immerse them into this culture where they're hearing the language and they right. see the other children playing, their cousins, their aunties, their uncles, everybody connecting and, and, and listening to them. You know, For instance, when we go home, um, the fish that comes from the lake region, 
you know, it comes and my children are curious because they can see all these different types of fish. Mm -hmm. And so my nieces mm -hmm. um, and my cousins are explaining to them the names of the fish in my language, you know, this is chapatwa, this is this fish, this is umintesa, wow. you know, and all of that. So we, we come back to Nairobi, oh mommy, I just want to have umintesa. Yes, you know. that's all, that's the name they know. And yeah, yet, you know, someone's like, oh yeah, I don't know, that, that might be the bottled fish. I was like, listen, I don't even know the English name of that fish. Mm. But the name I know from my culture is a mean test. And so um, I immerse my children into these spaces, even if they may be going to an American school, they know what their heritage is. Right. I want them grounded in understanding who they are, their identity, even from their names, so that they know what their names mean. Right. And, and and with this, to identify really strongly who they are. I don't want children, and I know that they're global, we would talk about this, you know, yes. they're global citizens, but ultimately, even if I live in Rome, or I live in Geneva, or I live in Nairobi, or Osaka, my children will know what deep down what their heritage mm. is, and I, that connection to it. I love that. Parents have to be intentional. It doesn't matter what, it's just being intentional and recognizing. Mm -hmm what this identity means to them and gives them. And you've talked about Rome. I know that early February, you're, you're made um, the director for Rome Center for Sustainable Development mm -hmm. at UNDP. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, so what does this role mean for you? And I love the, for me, it was sustainable development. Mm -hmm. We're in Africa. Mm -hmm. How do we participate? How do we support those programs? Because normally we look at the UN, it's there, but I want us to bring it and break it down mm -hmm. where someone in the village mm -hmm. is able to understand this is my part, this is my role mm -hmm. in supporting mm -hmm. Muswanda in whatever she's doing. Yes. How do we bring that to our schools? What do we do? You know what? I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very basic and very simplistic. For me, one of the best and fantastic things that happened around Kenya and when um, Judy Wahungu was, uh, was the Minister of Environment, right. if you remember, was the banning of plastic, single-use plastic. And you were the first country in, I think, to ban uh, plastics all over. Yes. Do you know that? Yes. Of course you did. What am I asking? <laughs> communities that have been our traditional communities on the continents are generally secular. Mm. What does that mean? That means that we reuse and use and recycle things. The fact that a kiondo made from sisal or made from a specific grass or, you know, a basket to carry the wood or to carry your vegetables, etc., goes back to earth. You know, that cyclic, that circular mm. space. We are the leaders on circularity. So when that happened, for me, what I can say is the fact that Kenya went that way and Kenya was is obviously a member of the UN system and the UN Environment Assembly, which is you know what UNEP, my former employer, um, takes care of, that also provided an impetus for the Europeans within the European Union to say, ah, there's leadership coming out of Africa, there's innovation. So there's elements of sustainability. Let's think about this because we are a global village. The fact that, you know, some products are coming out of Europe packaged in plastic or in problematic materials, should we be receiving them? It's a bigger question. However, I think that, that we're providing leadership as Africa for me is wonderful. You're in the tech world. 
So now I'm just talking now sort of broadly within the sustainability um, and what, what this Rome Center is obviously going to be doing. In the tech world, I think Kenya has been a leader on just the fintech, you know, with right. M-Pesa. We were flung into this pandemic where people were like, yo, I can't even go out, there's a curfew, there's this, and da 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 da. However, those people that were allowed to deliver our food, all you did was send money, fire off money to someone right. to deliver your flowers, and your flowers are left at your door. There was no contact. Yeah. There was no contact. The only contact is just you sending money. Mm. And a friend of mine said something that was very interesting. She lives in Copenhagen, and her mother is in Kampala, in Uganda. She's like, Musanda, all I do is I just fire off you know, mobile money to my mother, and her mother is eight, in her 80s. Mm. Then the mother sends over the rider to pick this and this from the store, and that and that and that, and there was no connection. Yes. So her mother was not at risk. The household who's staying with her receives that, sanitizes what has to be sanitized, right. takes it into the house. So we see how this innovation, and for me, that is what is needed for the sustainable development goals. And I think one of the things I wrote about just when I started my job on the 1st of February is when we enter 2021, we need to reimagine and rethink right. the futures. Yeah. Because what we had before clearly didn't work, which is why we found ourselves here. Right. In this crazy pandemic. We need to reimagine, right. rethink our futures and mm. how sustainable they can be. I love that because I think that was the one place where we were so way ahead and that's what COVID-19 suddenly just catapulted e-commerce where what do you think needs to change in how we are doing things mm -hmm. for sustainable development? How do we individually take responsibility? Because I think sometimes we talk and it's easy mm -hmm. to leave that to the government, mm -hmm. to the UN. Mm -hmm. Bring it closer to us. How do we do that? So we all take responsibility for our role. Absolutely. It takes you, me, that person over there, right. and, and all those different individuals are what make up community, and right. what make up society, and what make up the population, and mm. then magnify that, amplify that mm. to the entire planet. Mm. So for me, my, 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 my always my, my rationale, for instance, I mean, what do I do in my personal life? There are things that I, I, I obviously take responsibility, for instance, I just literally just don't have the whole plastic shenanigan dynamic in mm. my home. I go shopping with all my baskets, etc. You know, if I receive packaging with plastic, I'm like, ah, you're taking that with you. Mm. Um, I've changed how I look at my food systems. Um, so I grow my own food. Um, I oh, teach wow. my children how, you know, we have herbs in the garden, you know, we have, you know, sedge tea in the morning, mm. and then we have this and that. My children can give you the names of the herbs in the garden. And I do this cyclic growing where um, I have specific vegetables, etc. I'm also very purposeful about where am I buying specific foods? Like, you know, my children are, I'm, I don't eat meat, but my children love their chicken. Okay, mm. which butchery do I buy from? You know, where are we sourcing some of these right. foods, etc. I'm checking all of that. So at an individual mm. level, we have to be the change that we want to see. I, I believe very strongly. And then at the same time, for me, what has been really wonderful also with this pandemic, I mean, you know what it is like within the UN, the travel that we mm. did was crazy. I mean, right. you and I both, right? Yes. And now we're very mindful to say, okay, I'll be very deliberate where I go. Do I really need to go there when I can have a virtual meeting? Um, mm. that, 
you know, thanks to technology? Or do I need to, you know, those decisions that we make at an individual level. So, and also just even the clothes that we wear, etc. You know, are the, some of these clothes coming from God knows far away? I mean, do they have to be flown over to you? Or do we get local fabric, local cotton, local, you know, or do I buy next door from Ethiopia because it's much closer or from right. UK? I don't know. We have to really rethink. And I think what this crisis has done is to provide an opportunity, mm. a window into what those futures could be like. Because shipping stopped, flights stopped. Mm. I mean, the world literally, our business, I mean, all the three pillars of mm. the sustainable development goals were hit. The social fabric, the economic, and also the environmental. But these now are windows, windows for us to reflect and say, hmm, in fact, I'm part of a group called Listening to Earth. And it's wonderful because it's really... I love the title, Listening to Earth. It's, I, it's wonderful. Mm. You know, Charlotte Dufour, one of my girlfriends, started it. And it's mm. wonderful. You know, we... Tell us a little bit about it's, it. It's, 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 a it's really, so mindful. It's, it's, it's a really mindful. wonderful group. You know, Charlotte and another girlfriend of mine, Licia, and, and some other people within this group, you know, yogis, very much into reflecting, thinking. And so what we've done is to take mindfulness into a lot of these multilateral spaces. So when we have the climate change COP, for example, the meeting conference of the parties, or there was a big conference in New York with the Secretary General, we had a whole session of just yoga. You know, let's listen to the earth. What is the earth saying? And then you hear the sound of the sea, you hear the rustling of the leaves, you hear the animals, you just hear all of this. Can we just reconnect right. and recenter? And then this group also, you know, does a lot of sort of articles around, you know, because we are living in a planetary emergency, right? What have we done? What have we done to Mother Earth? And having that moment of introspection, and it goes back to your question about what, as individuals, we can do. Because what it, what this listening to Earth does is it calls you at an individual level, and right. you have a space to say, what is it that you can change? Because when you change, I change, my child changes, that neighbor changes, that ripple effect mm. is what then we begin to see at a societal level. Then something kicks in. Which is, I really, I, I really love these spaces that begin to challenge us because that also begins to redefine also how we work. Are we rethinking some of these strategies? Mm. And because when you have more mindful thinking, even in these spaces, you're thinking, hmm, I don't think this policy is right. Yeah. Right. Which is why I go back to the plastic issue. Mm. If as a society, collectively, we were mindful of the damage plastic does to our environment, right. we would say, oh yeah, I support that policy change. Yeah, yeah, let's go. That's the way we should be doing it, not fighting it. And remember, we fought it. I think it before people were like, this is crazy, it will not work. Years later, it has become second nature. In mm -hmm. fact, when people see someone with a plastic, they're like, you know you're not allowed to carry this. Mm -hmm. When you're landing, the days people used to fly, they'd go, you know in Kenya, you're not allowed to go with plastic. Yeah. You know, policies take time, but then they eventually, people adapt them. No, totally. But do you remember also that what also took the sort of shifting of the dial was when people saw, so because we're emotive as humans, they saw that video of the cows eating the plastic. I think it was either in Isiolo or somewhere mm. because of the Maasai community. Because the Maasai people were complaining. They're like, our cattle are dying. So they would find, so these abattoirs would find tons of plastic in the stomach they'll be like oh, oh my goodness that's why the animals are dying now when people and you kenyans gosh you love your nematroma 
your barbecues are like, hey. I know, we don't know what vegetarian means. And you are vegetarian. <laughs> and you know what happened was, people looked at that, they were like, what? You mean we're eating cows that have eaten plastic? Mm. It changed everything. It changed everything. People were more mindful and purposeful about thinking, oh my goodness, wow, no, 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 this cannot be the way. It can, that cannot be the, the, the meat right, and barbecue. Right. It had to take that video and people seeing that and realizing the connection, the relationship mm -hmm. between what the cow eats and what we eat and therefore completing that mm -hmm. circle about our relationship with nature being fractured as mm -hmm. it is right now. Even though we know in our traditional forefathers there was that connection that's mm -hmm. there how do we bring this people can say you know Sonda, you and Dorothy, you can do you can talk about that we have the luxury of living comfortable lives mm -hmm. but how do we take that to people who are struggling I, you know i always think that is that the first message they think and how do we frame that message mm -hmm. that it's important mm -hmm. you know for for us to have this mindful connection with nature mm -hmm. and to listen to listen to nature mm -hmm. because nature is always communing with us. How do we take that to to the grassroots? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So for me, to be honest with you, is um, you see when I've looked at um, when I've looked at our natural environment, and I'll give a very simplistic um, example. For instance, when you look at Uganda, for example, yeah, in the rainy season when the rains come, you know the the the, the grasshoppers come. When the zinnenes come out. Most of the places where it's collected is within rural communities, yeah? And Zinene now is a multi-million dollar industry. Really? Yes, because people eat this Zinene and they are yummy. My children think they taste like popcorn. I love them. <laughs> they so they, they taste like popcorn. popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> so you know, they're fried and they're Now, this is a traditional food system. So I'm, I'm now putting into context what we need to think about what to other people seemingly looks, oh wow, yeah, I would never eat that. Mm -hmm. And yet it's 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 a kind of informal business system where people collect it, they fry them, and then they sell them in, you know, some. How do we formalize these indigenous food systems? How do we formalize these um insect food systems? The challenge has always been when you look at Ministry of Agriculture, things that we inherited post-colonial, when they looked at systems, um, insects, or what, you know, what, what are, you know, obviously these systems, they, right. they looked at them as pests, right? Mm. And yet they've been our food systems. Mm. So this is now a rethink that we need to have. And mind you, there's studies in nature, in many journals, that have now shown that the protein content of a lot of these insects in Africa mm. are is much higher than that of meat, beef, pork combined. Mm. So now we begin to rethink. So the point I'm trying to drive across is that individual in the village who's collecting the Senene, there has to be part of this value chain where they get value for their money. They collect these insects and then the packaging. So now this is where food policy is also coming. The fact that it can go onto a shelf mm. and be bought mm. in a supermarket. And how do we normalize right. this and make sure that, you know, the community, we visit the women mm. that are collecting this, also benefit right. the same thing with the industry of the caterpillars for example in southern africa right. how do we make sure that these systems these food systems are formalized now the point i'm trying to also put across is there would be no caterpillar or cinnamon if the trees were not standing mm. so the connectivity to the natural environment mm. is very clear mm. you cut the trees 
you're not going to have the caterpillar. Mm. Neither you 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 de you destroy the land, you mm. destroy the soils. Those mounds where the termites come out right. or mm. where the cinnamon are coming from, if that does not, if it's polluted, if it's not a clean environment, they're not coming. They'll right. be gone. And we are living in a mass extinction period. So we need to rethink in our mm. mind that these systems are economic systems equally. And they're right. also social systems. The fact that, you know, women go together, they're chanting and they're laughing and they're gossiping about their husbands and God right. knows who to just collect those insects and dry mm. them and prepare them, etc. What is the system that the structures that support them right. so that they can have an income that is consistent? So we need a rethink in these systems that we bear in mind. And that data is mm. critical. That data is critical. And that's what the Sustainable Development Goals are about. Mm. So, for instance, you work with Google. And, and, you know, how do you collect this information to show and pinpoint where some of these, you know, spaces are? Okay, how many women right. go and collect these insects? Mm. Okay, how much money did they make? Like, what did it mean for their communities? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. And all of that. We have to connect all these dots together. Because for a long time, we haven't. We just ignored them. And we said, right. no, 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 no. Those insects are pests. They're dangerous. They're horrible. And so, right. the, back to language. So the moment you put yeah. a negative lens, a connotation on something, you know, then it feels like, yeah, actually, we shouldn't even be investing in terms of time or in terms of resources to make sure. And so one of the conversations that is happening with ICPE, the, you know, the organization that does with insects entomology here mm. in Kenya, is they're also advocating for even growing these insects for feed because a lot of the feed that goes in the animals is problematic polluted mm. what we don't know right. or we are destroying land tracts of land to just grow square mm. you know right because that's what's making money now exactly. it's problematic yeah. for it's creating degradation deforestation how do we make sure that these commodities are not destroying our environment or right. the planet so we need this holistic thinking this systems thinking mm. and then back to leadership mindful leadership systems leadership this is what we need cut the trees and that affects that i was reading about bats and how when they killed the trees there was you know less bats and you know, the whole impact mm -hmm. on the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. In fact, the bats moved because right. the trees were gone. And you know, like here, I mean, there's a study that's been done by museums of Kenya. It's been fascinating. Right. Yes. The bats are roosting in Nairobi. They're right. roosting. And when they're roosting, and bats carry viruses, naturally. So now we're bringing the disease closer to home oh, wow. because we've destroyed the natural environment where they live. This is, and this study has been done with jaguars here it's been done with the museums of kenya to look wow. at how the you know all that mijikenda region with the kaya forest that destruction right. there's a price to pay for that part of the problem we have in africa is we don't collect data so when you're saying you know the impact of cutting trees what does this do to the environment mm -hmm. or this study mm -hmm. that has been done by jayco how do we get that data where we are showing numbers like we don't have that data. It's there. Dorothy, yes. it's there in two ways. So there's the qualitative, mm. which is there, and this, there's the quantitative. The qualitative also goes back to what I talked about, community. So mm. that information that we're gathering from the traditional knowledge. Oh, yeah, you know, this, this, this insect used to show this time, but now it no longer comes. You begin to map to superimpose to some of the scenarios that could have been done. There's a lot of information around climate data, for instance. Mm. One of the climatic centers here in the in, in the meteorological department for this region mm. is here in Kenya. That data has been collected, but how do we 
connect the dots. Okay, so what 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 the study with museums of Kenya in Jekwat has done beautifully is that they collected the sort of empirical data and then they collected that, that sort of you know other data where they looked at the levels of deforestation and then they tagged the bats. They've tagged the bats with a microchip so they can see where they're flying, where they're going. And then they also collect, so, so one of the mammologists, uh, Bernardo Gwanda, um, who's, who's a bat mammologist, they've been collecting all this data and they can see on their screens, I mean, very clever things. You know, they can see with a satellite, oh, you know, this bat has now flown to Zambia and then mm -hmm. it's come back and then it's gone into Congo and then it goes to Uganda. Mm -hmm and then via Rwanda, mm. da, 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 da. Mm. Now this data has been collected. Now the most important thing, we do not collect data for the sake of collecting because we just feel like, you know, punching mm. some numbers into some computer. Data needs to inform a specific decision. Data needs to inform the change that we want to see. So the fact that we see more bats coming into Nairobi, roosting in the city or in Huru Park or even in homesteads, why is that happening? Mm. So what do we change mm. about that? See what I mean? Right. And at the same time, we're also thinking, hmm, how does that inform a specific policy? Right, exactly. So mm. now the, for, the Ministry of Agriculture, all the Ministry of Forestry and Water and Land, etc., now needs to look at that data to say, ah, over the last 15, 20 years, this is the dynamic that we've seen. This is not the way we should go. Because the projections are showing that should we lose more forests, more bats come into our environment, and then we have what we're now seeing as zoonosis. So COVID-19, for example, is a zoonotic disease. So that virus that's in the bat or in the pangolin or whatever is getting closer. So that transference of the, the virus to humans is what's called zoonosis. So now how do we cut that out? Because now the challenge is that we are afraid and we're nervous that we're going to have more pandemics. So how do we begin to reduce the risk of that? And that's where the data comes in. And we have now to figure out to make a decision. Oh, that means we cannot develop going this way. We cannot have this agriculture activities of this sort go happening that way. It's back to the system. Back to the system. It's back Thank to you. the system. Right. So this is where the conversations need to happen across these silos that have been created for the longest. Ministry of Agriculture doesn't talk to Ministry of Water, does not talk to the Ministry of Lands, does not talk to the Ministry of Infrastructure, right. does not talk to the Ministry of Energy. All of these things are interconnected. Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Technology, all these sectors are so interconnected in such an intimate way that they cannot be separated. And that's why for me, when I look at, and, and my ambition in going into this new role is to show the world that Actually, the sustainable development goals are really like a weaving. You know when you have a sweater that's woven? So all these strings woven together very neatly. It took a pandemic just unraveling. Remember when you were a child, you just put one, you pull one string out of your sweater, what happened? Yes, completely. <laughs> You've destroyed. Yeah. You know, how do we stop the unraveling? How do we make sure that the weaving is so tight that even when one thread is pulled out, 
it's still intact. However, it's sending a signal to say, ooh, that threads need to be replaced fairly mm-hmm. quickly because this thing is going to fall apart. We have found ourselves falling apart collectively on the yes. planet. The fact that we can't travel to anywhere, the fact that we cannot, you know, life right. as we knew it is different. Right. We can't hug, mm. um, you know, we can't just, you know, have right. just wonderful moments that we used to have. Something came apart. And do you feel that in 2021, we are going to have more of that connectivity in terms of ministries talking to one another? In fact, as you talked about, the silos is so apparent. Mm-hmm. And because of those silos, the damage that's happening to our environment, mm-hmm. the degradation that's taking place is really common. Is there a way we can, you know, like we can get the messages to governments and saying, in saying, oh, you need to talk. Is that your mandate, for instance, to help, you know, agriculture, environment, infrastructure, talk, because there's such a connection. Mm -hmm. And when they're not talking to one another, the unraveling will will come true. Mm -hmm. And then on a personal level, how do we in our households also have that connectivity where we are letting, listen, what happens to your neighbor affects you. Of course. You know, and how we we are more attentive to that. Mm Absolutely. So, I mean, part of the mandate of the centre is to look at three things, to look at the climate change conversation, to look at the sustainable development issue, obviously, and also look at what we're calling nature protection. Now, all of these are very much interconnected. So, um, for me, um, one of the the vision, I mean, the vision that I have seen for the centre is that I look at three things, three things um, that affect everybody on this planet. One is how how we live. And then secondly, what we eat. And then thirdly, um, how we work. Yeah. Mm. So let me just start with the how we live. I mean, the fact that we're in a city, we're here in Nairobi, we're very lucky and very blessed that we're in a green city. Mm. There are a number of cities around the world that are not that green, you know. And so one of the things of the center is to really talk about um, sustainability and livability. How can we have more green spaces? Several studies have shown that the greener a space is, the less pressure on mental health. So there's actually a Japanese word, I cannot remember what it is, is that actually when you walk into a forest, um, insects that move around and climb on the tree, on the, on the sort of, you know, trunks of the trees, etc., trigger a specific chemical where trees communicate with each other and say, ooh, termites coming, incoming, incoming, so that they release this chemical to just kind of dispel specific insects that would be eating the bark, etc. But this chemical is so good for our bodies. For the human because your skin is the largest breathing organ mm. so what the japanese have called this is called forest bathing you walk in there and and it's so good for your mental health and there are studies that have shown university of madison for instance madison wisconsin has shown the study where that there's cities where they saw the drop in mental health or specific behaviors in children that had a much closer proximity to a forest mm. to green fields where they could just go and play and interact with nature. Mm. So how do we then begin a rethink around infrastructure? How do we group, how do we build differently? And Singapore is a case in point, uh, where they're you know thinking around how they build and how they have right. greener spaces. They they're having these vertical forests as they call them. So greener spaces around the you know the building and amazing, just amazing. So for me. The livability, the sustainability, how we live matters. Mm. And here we are in a pandemic world where we're no longer driving to work. 
or working from home. Right. So think about how much pollution we've just reduced. You see that in the morning, if you do, you're like, you know, when I run, I, you feel that. There's a difference. Isn't it just? Yeah. Isn't it just? Yeah. So our leaving spaces matter, very much matter. And so we need to rethink going forward. And I'm really hoping that we'll be more reflective and we're not desperate to, and which is why I'm a little nervous with the word building back better, mm -hmm. you know. Going back, we, we're not going back. There's no way, yes. We, we have to build right. forward better and yeah. differently. Yeah. Um, and also, which is why I'm also a little mindful about the word reset. Mm. Because with reset, you know, when you reset your phone, you clean your data. Right. You lose something. Mm. No, we cannot. I. We need to learn from the bad behavior we've, we've exhibited. Right. Right. How we live and how we, what we've eaten and how right. we've worked and, and, and really thriving in these spaces. Mm or not even thriving at all, we need to learn from that going forward. Right. We need a rethink and, and right. reimagining to say, okay, that's what I'm going to leave out of my life mm. and this is what I'm going to keep and this is what I'd like to bring in right. into my life, no matter how hard and painful how it feels, because we're creatures of comfort. You know, humans are creatures mm. of comfort and habits, you know, just like, oh God, I can't be bothered to change. Right. Yeah, and that's where I'm, I'm so hopeful with the youth. I'm incredibly hopeful hopefully with young people, with our children, because they're challenging the status quo. And I, I think that's such a wonderful way to, to end the podcast on rethinking how we live. And COVID-19 last year taught us that we needed to rethink mm -hmm. and we need to reimagine what our life needs to be. Totally. Yes. Totally. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh, for challenging us and for making us see the interconnectivity. I have enjoyed this conversation. So have I. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all today in No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. Thanks for listening. You can also follow me on Instagram, No Head Podcast. May you listen to the earth. May you understand how connected you are to nature. And may you be reflective about your role in saving the planet. Bye-bye.